Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Excellent. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Northbrook. Excited to be with you this weekend. Uh, Pastor Mike was actually scheduled uh, to be here this weekend, but on Monday, uh, he got a call that an extended family member had passed away suddenly. Uh, and so he is at the funeral uh, today in Michigan. And so uh, if you want to keep him in your prayers, I know that he and his family would appreciate that. But here I am. You're stuck with me today again. Uh, and we are in the middle of a series called It's Bigger Than Us. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been exploring this idea that the kingdom of God is not just someplace you go when you die, uh, but rather it's here. It's now. Uh, it's available to us today. Jesus said the kingdom of God is among us. And we have an invitation to be a part of bringing God's kingdom down to earth. And while his kingdom is certainly bigger than any one of us, we all have a part to play in bringing that kingdom down. And so we've been exploring different ways that uh, we can bring God's goodness into the world through this series. And in conjunction with that, as uh, Tara mentioned, we are in Operation Love Your Neighbor, a 40-day campaign where we intentionally love our community well, and uh, it's exciting to hear some of the stories that are already coming out of Operation Love Your Neighbor, and encourage you, if you have not gotten involved in one of our local opportunities, it's not too late. And of course, uh, as we say every year, Operation Love Your Neighbor is not about loving our community well for 40 days, and then going, phew, glad that's done, we don't have to love those people anymore. Uh, but rather, Operation Love Your Neighbor is hopefully a catalyst to the idea that we can all love our community well throughout the year. In fact, not only can we, but, but we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus to love our community well. So there were two men that went on a dangerous boating adventure, and uh, a storm came up, and the boat began to sink. They jumped out and uh, were able to find a piece of wood, and uh, they washed up on a deserted island that next morning. And uh, one of the men immediately began to panic. He was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. This is horrible. No one's going to find us. We're going to die here. This is awful. His companion uh, was quite the opposite. His companion sat on the beach getting a tan and seemed quite calm and collected. And after a couple hours, uh, the companion that was all uh, panicked looked at his companion and said, how in the world are you staying so calm at a time like this? And uh, the man suntanning himself said, I took out an insurance policy. I knew we were going on a dangerous boating adventure, and so what I did is I canceled my recurring donation to my church. Don't worry, my pastor will find us. <laughs> you can laugh, it's okay. It's... So last week, uh, when uh, on Monday, or actually Tuesday, when, when I found out I was preaching, this week. Uh, my first question, of course, was, well, what's the topic? And uh, when Pastor Mike told me the topic, I immediately thought, can't I just go back to preaching during the Packer game? Because that would be much easier. So the, the topic for this weekend is bringing God's kingdom down to earth by the way that we steward our money. I thought you'd be more excited. Maybe I need to say that, say that again. Let's try this again. We get to talk about money today. There it is. All right. Some of you can act. Congratulations. I know this is a difficult topic uh, for many reasons. 
Some of us have had past experiences that kind of shape how we view this topic. Perhaps some of us have uh, been in a situation where a church or a nonprofit manipulated us or, or guilted us, played on our heartstrings to a story, and we walked away from that experience just not feeling great about it. Or perhaps others of us uh, gave our money to a nonprofit or a church, and then we found out that uh, the nonprofit of the church was misusing funds. And uh, we walked away from that experience somewhat jaded when it came to uh, supporting nonprofits or being generous with our money. Or perhaps others of us uh, gave to someone who seemed to be in need, and then we found out they were using us. And so we all have these experiences that shape us. And perhaps others of us just think that money is a personal thing, and you don't want to be told what to do with your money. I have my own stories. Uh, I remember in college... I was uh, going to a, went to a mega church as part of a class down south, and um, the, the the pastor was preaching on generosity. He was talking about the importance of giving to his church and how I would be blessed by God if I gave to his church. And they also talked about his private jet that the church had bought him. And I just remember walking out of there, just feeling just feeling dirty, just feeling like something wasn't right. Uh, a few years into uh, being a youth pastor, I took a group of students to a youth convention. And uh, the last morning we were there, the speaker was talking about giving to missions. And towards the end of his message, it just turned a little manipulative. It just didn't feel right. And then at the very end of his message, this is what he said. He said, students, I want you to give every single dollar you have in your wallets to this offering. And if you do, your youth pastor will buy you lunch today. Well, the students gave, and I was the youth pastor. So I took him to McDonald's. I was like, there's the dollar menu, two items. (laughs) Not a happy day. And so I want to say a couple of things up front before we dive into this topic to just kind of set the tone, help us all as we dive into this. So first off, if you're newer to Northbrook, I do want to tell you that we are not a church that talks about money all the time. Uh, sometimes people walk into churches and it's a new church and they're like, oh great, is this one of those churches where every other week they're going to be asking for money? And I actually had our team look back on the last time that we talked about generosity and it was over two years ago. So if you're new to Northbrook, you just picked a really great weekend to attend. Uh, what are the odds? You can do the math. Uh, secondly, uh, Northbrook is in a really good financial place. Uh, there, there's no like secret hidden agenda here. It's not like we're desperate for money. Uh, Northbrook's in a very good financial place. In fact, we've been uh, presently uh, uh, surprised, pleasantly surprised at how generous Northbrookers have been coming out of COVID, uh, where other nonprofits have had to scale back uh, their operations. Um, some churches have had to close uh, Northbrook has done very well. We've been able to continue our mission and continue our programming, and it's because of uh, many of your generosity. And so, I just want to say thank you, and I want to say that there's going to be no, there's going to be no heart wrenching story at the end. There's no, there's not going to be any like manipulative plea for money at the end of this. So, in the words of Aaron Rodgers, we can all relax, <laughs> take a deep breath. Here's why we're going to talk about this today. Because we're doing an eight-week series on bringing the kingdom of God down into our world. And it would not be appropriate on our part to not, to not at least spend one week talking about how money plays a role in bringing God's kingdom down to earth. Uh, money is a big part of our world, right? We all know the phrases, money talks, wh- whatever the phrase might be. And so we are going to spend this week looking at how we steward our money and how that can be a part of bringing God's goodness into our world. All right, you guys ready? You excited? Five of you are. The rest of you are like, can I sneak out of here? Or do you know? All right. 
We're going to start in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read uh, those verses. We're going to talk about it, and then we're going to jump down to further in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus speaking. Matthew recording. Matthew writes these words that Jesus speaks. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So i got two thoughts for you from this passage. The first one is Jesus assumes we will be generous with our money. It's an assumption that he is making here. You look back, he says, when you give to the needy. When, not if. Jesus says, when you give to the needy. There's an assumption on Jesus' part that we will be generous with our money. Uh, generosity was a big part of Jewish culture. Uh, if you read the Old Testament you come to verse after verse that talks about the importance of being generous with what God has given you to help those in need. Generosity is a huge part of Jewish culture, and then it continues with Jesus' followers in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, uh, the story of the early church, we read the early church getting together, selling their possessions, giving to people that had less, providing for each other, being generous with their finances. And as we look at the story of the church over the past 2,000 years, while the church certainly hasn't always gotten this right, there is a theme that followers of Jesus have consistently brought God's goodness into our world by the way that they steward their finances. Uh, just a few examples. The first hospitals, the first known hospitals in uh, on our planet were intentionally uh, financed by Christians who believed that the poor should have an opportunity to have health care. And they wanted to enable them to be provided for because they believed that God cared for the poor. The first schools for the poor, again, invested in by Christians who believed that even if you were a poor child, that you should have access to education. Uh, the first orphanages invested in, sponsored by Christians. Uh, the the, the first disaster relief organizations sponsored, invested in by Christians. There's this theme that where you see uh, goodness in the world, you follow that trail, and eventually you find followers of Jesus leveraging their finances to bring God's goodness into the world to help those in need. Jesus assumes that we will be generous. John, writing in First John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I love how John writes. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? John gives us this idea that when we have material possessions and we see somebody else in need, that is the moment of truth if we find out if God's love is really alive and active in our hearts and our minds. It's, it's one thing to say, oh, I really, really hope God takes care of that person. That's another thing to step forward and be God's hands and feet in that situation. So Jesus assumes that we'll be generous with our money. Secondly, Jesus is quite clear, the only agenda 
that we should have as we step out to meet needs is love. Love is the agenda. Jesus says, when you give, don't announce it with trumpets. Now, when I hear that phrase, don't announce it with trumpets, what I immediately think of uh, is the movie Aladdin. Uh, either the, the new version or the old version, makes no difference. But if you've seen the movie Aladdin, you remember that scene where Aladdin comes into Agrabah as Prince Ali, and he's on the elephant, and they're banging drums, and they're just making a spectacle, and he's got these dancers, right? And it's this loud, obnoxious thing. He's making an entrance. And Jesus says, when we give, not to make a spectacle of it. In fact, one of the reasons that Jesus was so annoyed with the religious leaders and some of the Pharisees of his day was because they were, they were, they were very uh, uh, quick to obey God's law, but it was for show. It was to get recognition. It was to be noticed. And so though they were doing what God had asked them to do, it was their, their heart wasn't right. They were doing it to be noticed, to draw attention to themselves. Jesus makes a bold statement. He says, you should be, you should be so secretive that when you give with your right hand, your left hand is like, what's going on over there? And your right hand's like, none of your business. Now, I think sometimes that we can take this too literally and think that every time that we are generous, it has to be in secret. And I don't think that is what Jesus is getting at here. What Jesus is getting at here is that when we give, our heart matters. Our motives matter. And the only agenda with which we are to give is, is, is love. Love is the agenda. You ever had a moment where someone did something nice for you, but you felt like there were strings attached? You felt like there was a secret agenda or a motive? Perhaps they were doing it to get recognition, or perhaps they were doing it, but you knew there was an expectation that if they were nice to you, you would need to be nice to them in return at some point. Jesus makes it clear that for followers of Jesus, love is the only agenda. There can be no strings attached when we're generous with what God has given us. And Jesus continues, and he says there is a reward for those that are generous with love as the agenda. Now, what is that reward? I think God's rewards can come in many different ways. I don't want to limit what God can do, but I think primarily what Jesus is speaking of here is that when we give to others with love as the agenda, our souls come alive. It's like we're living in a way that we were meant to live. You ever had a moment where you did something nice for someone? Perhaps you bought somebody's groceries in the line at the grocery store or bought somebody's meal or you did something small and you just felt good in that moment. You came alive. Your, your soul was lifted. Maybe you were having a bad day and, and you did something nice for somebody else and suddenly it just turned your whole day around. Like that, I think that's the reward that Jesus is talking about. It's almost as if we were created to be generous. And when we step forward in generosity to love someone with no other agenda, it's, it's like we're living as we were meant to live. A number of years ago, our youth ministry uh, did a missions trip uh, to Baja, Mexico, just outside Tijuana, and we partnered with an organization to build a home for a family in need. And we didn't really know what to expect, but we showed up, and this family was living in this one-room shack. And uh, the entire shack was the size, the, probably the size of the average American bedroom, uh, maybe a little smaller. It consisted of one small bed that took up half the room, and the other half the room was a dirt floor where the two teenage boys slept. That was their whole house. Uh, the two teenage boys had never slept on anything other than a dirt floor. And so uh, we built them a house literally right in front of their current shack, 
And uh, thankfully, we partnered with a construction company because you don't want us building you a house, even in Mexico. And uh, so we partnered with this construction company. We built this very modest home by American standards. Uh, it consisted of two bedrooms and then a living room area and then a loft over the two bedrooms. And that was it. Very, very simple. Uh, but you could tell to them it was, it was like a mansion. And after we built it, we went out and, and used our money and we, we furnished uh, the house, right? We bought some bunk, a bunk bed for the two boys so they could sleep in an actual bed. We bought a simple dining room table and some chairs, and they'd never sat down in their home to a meal together around a table. And I bought them some other things that they had requested. And I'll never forget the last day we were there, uh, the the dad of the family, he worked six days a week, 12 hours a day, driving a uh, city bus, uh, making nothing. And uh, so he hadn't been able to ask off, he he couldn't get off, so he had missed most of the, the time we were there, but the last day he got a couple hours off. Uh, to show up for the end when we kind of handed the keys over to the family. And uh, he was a tough guy. We had heard from the people that lived there that he'd been in a gang for a while. He's this big, tough guy. He had a backwards hat, sunglasses on. And uh, I'll never forget handing him the keys. And you're just kind of wondering, like, what is he thinking? And uh, right as we're about to leave, he finally takes off his sunglasses and he's, he's crying. And of course, you know, I got some dust in my eye at that point, and some water started to go down because of the dust. Maybe not because of the dust. And in that moment, our team felt like we were meant to do that. Love was our agenda, and it was like God had created us for that moment. And it wasn't like these, you know, the rich Americans coming to help the poor people. No, no, no. It was, it was followers of Jesus who'd been given much, using a small part of what we had to help another human being created in God's image. We felt alive. And I hope that everyone in this room has had that moment where you did something small for someone with love as the agenda, and in that moment, your soul came alive as if you were created for that. There's an assumption on Jesus' part that we will be generous and love is the only agenda. And when we do, it's, it's like we come alive. Jesus continues in Matthew 6, later on, starting in verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus continues talking about our resources, and he says that every day we have this opportunity to either store up for ourselves treasure on earth, or to intentionally leverage our money to store up treasure in heaven. Now here's the problem. I like treasure on earth. And you like treasure on earth. I like my treasure on earth. I like my Starbucks. Uh, Yesterday I went out for a run in my brand new running shoes. And it was awesome. I love brand... There's nothing better for a runner than new running shoes after you've broken them in. I like playing hide and seek. Other uh, other guys call it golf, but for me, it's 
Not so much golf. I like, I like my treasure on earth, and I, and I guarantee you like your treasure on earth. Uh, Americans, we Americans, we have, 90, uh, we're, we're more, we have more stuff, we have more treasure on earth than 90% of the rest of the world. So what do we do with that? I do think that there is a biblical theme that we can enjoy what we have. Ecclesiastes 5.19, the writer says, When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. See, what we have is, is a gift. And there's a, there, there is a, a theme that we can enjoy and be thankful for what we have. I can, I can be thankful for a good cup of coffee or a date with my wife or, or playing golf with a group of guys that I call friends. I can be thankful for the, the earthly treasure that God has given me. But in this, on, this, on the other hand, I have to be careful that I'm a good steward of what God has given me. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Every day, while I can be thankful for what I have, I I wake up and I decide, who am I serving? Am I serving my culture, the the American culture that says you need more, you got to have more, a little bit more, you'll be happy, more stuff, buy this thing, right? Am I serving money? Or am I serving my creator that says, you can be content with what you have? Am I serving my creator that says, I've entrusted you with money and it is a tool to be used to bring my goodness into the world? See, here's how I know when money is becoming my master. When I start to believe it's mine and not God's. When I wake up and I start thinking, well, this is my money. So here's the truth. I grew, up, I grew up in church. I know a lot of us grew up in church. And, I, and I've heard people say, well, you know, 10% of your money is God's. You ever heard that? Well, 10%, you know, 10% of your money is God's. Or all people, all, you know, people say to me, well, you know, John, Northbrook needs to be super careful with how you, you steward the finances that you have because that's God's money. And I completely agree. We at Northbrook need to be absolutely intentional with how we steward every single penny of God's money. But here's, here's the reality. All money is God's money. All money is God's money. 100% of your money is God's money. 100% of my money is God's money. So it's not about being generous with 10% of your money. It's about being generous with 100% of God's money. Reminds me of a story of a, uh, a, a ritzy country club men's locker room. There were a bunch of guys in the locker room and a cell phone went off. And one of the guys picked it up, answered it, put it on speakerphone. And uh, the woman on the other end says, hey, honey, I'm at the mall. And uh, I just saw the leather coat that I really want. It's $2,000. Can I get it? And uh, the guy says, sure. And she says, oh, awesome. Um, since I can tell you're in a generous mood, um, I was, I'm actually on my way home. I was thinking about stopping by the car dealership. Uh, the car I want is just $90,000 right now. What do you think? And the guy goes, if you want it, get it. And so she says, also, uh, our realtor called, and that that house that I really want is back on the market. It's $2 million, but they're saying we need to be aggressive if we want to buy it. And the guy says, well, if we need to be aggressive, just offer $2.5 million. Like, you know, if you want it, let's get it. 
He says, oh, thank you, honey. She hangs up. He hangs up. And of course, at this point, all the guys in the locker room are just staring at him with their mouths just, at, you know, their jaws hit the floor. And so he, he hangs up the phone. He puts it down. He goes, hey, um, anybody know whose cell phone this is? <laughs> it's easier to be generous with somebody else's money. All money is God's money. That doesn't mean we're willy-nilly with money and we're just throwing money away. Well, it's not mine. It's God's. No, 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 no. We've we're, we got to be wise with our money. We're stewards. But we don't have to hold on to it tightly because it's not ours anyway. It's God's. And every day we have a choice if we try to store up for ourselves treasure on earth or whether we leverage what God has given us for eternal significance. I want to give you three practical next steps coming out of this message. I want to give you three small steps that you can take. And my prayer is that you'll pray and think about taking one of these next three steps in the coming week as we talk about being generous with what God has given us to intentionally bring God's goodness into the world. So, so three things for you, three steps. First one, model generosity. Someone once said, my dad is so cheap that when he dies, he's going to walk towards the light and turn it off. You know, I think sometimes uh, as we read Jesus' words about being secretive, we can get the wrong idea that we're supposed to be so secretive that not even our family members know. And I think when we do that, we miss an opportunity. And here's the opportunity. We have an opportunity to inspire the next generation with our generosity. When you model for the next generation, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, young people in your life, when you model a spirit of generosity, that inspires them. You're investing in them. You're making an eternal investment when you model generosity. Because what gets modeled gets repeated. And so there's an opportunity for all of us in the room as we are generous. Again, this isn't about doing it for show, but it is about leveraging how we spend our money to encourage the next generation to be generous. In our house, we, we sponsor some children through Compassion International. I know many of you do something like that. And, and we bring our kids into that sponsorship. We talk about why we sponsor those kids. You know, we, when, as we send letters, we talk about the importance of helping others. As we tithe to Northbrook Church, we bring our kids into that process. We explain why we give our money to Northbrook Church. We, we give the, our kids money and have them bring it in and, and put it in special offerings and things that are happening here. And throughout the years, there's opportunities to be generous to different organizations. We bring our kids in on that, and it's intentional because we want our kids to understand something. We don't have to be generous. We get to be. We get to be. This is exciting. This is an opportunity to leverage what God has given us to bring his goodness into the world. And it's not that it's like, well, we're Christians. We have to give some of our money. No, 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 no. It's... (laughs) We get to be a part of what God is doing in the world because he's given us so much. And now we get to leverage what he has given us for kingdom impact. So what would it look like in the coming weeks to leverage your generosity to inspire the next generation? To bring the next generation into the process. You know, we're a couple months away from Christmas. Maybe it just means being more intentional with your end of the year giving to bring your kids into that process or your grandkids or nieces or nephews into that process. And again, 
with the intention of helping them see it's not that I have to do this, I get to. I get to be generous. So model generosity. Number two, intentionally generous to the poor. You know, I think that in 2022, here is, here's the obstacle for most of us when it comes to being generous to the poor. There's just so much need. You know, like a hundred years ago, you, you only knew about the, the need in your area, typically, right? You'd, you'd know about the need in your town or maybe the town over. Now we live in a day and age where we go on the news, we go on social media, and, and there is just so much wrong with our world. There's so many organizations begging for our, our resources. There's so many great organizations that claim they're doing incredible things and they need our money. And if we, if we, it can become overwhelming. Or maybe perhaps, you know, we, we, we see the, the instances where someone is using the system, claiming that they need money and then they're misusing it. And, and we can get jaded and go, you know what? I'm not going to be a part of that. But I think there's opportunity for followers of Jesus because here's the reality. You know, we talk about the kingdom of God is bigger than us. No one in this room can take care of all of the need in the world, but all of us in this room have an opportunity to make a small difference in the world. All of us in this room have an opportunity to do what we wish we could do for everyone, for one person. And at the end of the day, that is what God is inviting us to do. He's not inviting us to change the whole world, but he is inviting us to do our part. To not allow the overwhelming need to stop us from taking care of one need. This last year, our student ministry, uh, we presented a challenge to them to raise money for a well in a third world country. Uh, we, we talked about how many people uh, don't have access to clean drinking water around the world. We talked about how many children die every day because of lack of access to clean drinking water. And we presented this gigantic need. And then we told them, look, we, our youth ministry can't take care of every single person that doesn't have access to clean drinking water. But this youth ministry can give one village clean drinking water if we work together. And we can't let the overwhelming need around our world stop us from doing what we can. And so through an organization called Charity Water, we challenged our students to raise uh, $5,000 in one month uh, to put a well somewhere in a third world country in a village. And uh, I thought $5,000 was a good bar. Uh, the most our youth ministry had ever raised before that in one month was 6000 and we were coming out of COVID, and I really wanted us to hit our goal. So I was like, 5000 sounds good. And we challenged them not to just go to parents and grandparents and be like, hey, I need money, but to actually put some skin in the game, to work an extra shift at a job, uh, to sell some things that they owned, uh, to create some things, you know, bake some things, to, to be creative and put some skin in the game. And at the end of the month, our, our students didn't just raise $5,000. They raised $11,000. And, here's what I was most proud of coming out of that when it comes to our students. They could have just said, well, what difference can we possibly make? They could have just said, well, you know, what, what difference can my little bit of money make, right? I'm a student. I don't have access to a lot of money. Like, what, what good is, is selling one prom dress or is working one extra shift at a job or is baking cookies? Like, what difference is that really going to make? But they didn't let their limitations stop them from doing what they could. And united combined, they were able to give clean drinking water 
to a village in a third world country. We've yet to hear from Charity Water where that well will be, but at some point we're going to get uh, the coordinates, GPS coordinates of exactly where our well will be. They didn't let what they couldn't do stop them from doing what they could do. In Matthew 25, Jesus, Jesus makes this, this pretty sobering claim. He says, whatever you do for the least of these, whenever you see someone that needs water, see someone that's sick, that needs help, whenever you see that and you respond, it's like you're helping him. But then he also says, when you, when you see someone in need, when you see someone that needs water, when you see someone sick, when you see someone that needs something from you and you turn your back on them, it's like you're turning your back on God. That's pretty sobering. And again, there's so much need in the world that we can just get overwhelmed and just turn our back on all of it. But I think the opportunity is for all of us. We can't do everything. But all of us can do something. To invest in God's kingdom and bring his goodness to this world. Thirdly, be generous to your faith community. I'm so thankful that 30-some years ago, a few people were generous and started Northbrook Church. And I'm so thankful for the people that have continued that generosity over the years. And I know I've been at Northbrook for 10 years now, and, and I've seen God do incredible things through this church and the community and the people that attend. And I'm so thankful for the people that were willing to be generous with their finances to enable our church to fulfill our mission. And here's what I believe. Our, our best days at Northbrook Church are yet to come. We've got so many exciting things that we're working on, ministering to people inside our church and outside our church. And I'm so thankful for the people that are generous in making that happen. And if you're here and you've never supported Northbrook Church financially, I just want to encourage you to pray about that opportunity, uh, to go online and sign up for a recurring donation. And hear me real carefully. Like, I don't want there to be any guilt. If you're feeling guilted to do it, don't do it. Uh, I don't know what anyone gives in this church. I don't want to know. And so there's no, absolutely zero guilt. There's opportunity. And so if you feel like God is placing that on your heart as a next step, great. If you don't, that's okay. Either way, what is one small step that you can take this week to leverage your resources to bring God's goodness into this world? I want to close with one last story. There was a rich mean old miserly man who never spent any of his money his whole life he just saved it all and he never let his wife spend any of the money uh, but she was a saint and just sweet and always just did whatever he said well he came to his deathbed and he brought his sweet wife in he said hey i've been thinking about it and i've worked really hard for all my money and so i want you to take all my money when i die i want you to put it in a metal box and i want to be buried with it I don't know what you're going to do, but I don't care. It's my money. And the sweet, sweet old lady just said, yes, dear. He said, I want you to promise me. She said, I promise. Well, friends and family heard about the promise that this sweet old lady had made. And of course, they, they tried to talk her out of it. They're like, you know, he's, he's out of his mind. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, you've lived your whole life, you know, never spending anything. Like, that money's yours. Like, she couldn't be convinced. So the day of the funeral came, and before they closed the casket, she had this big metal box, and she walked over, and she placed it in the casket, and they closed the casket. Of course, immediately the friends and family were thinking about, like, oh my goodness, like, we're going to have to go and dig that stuff up at some point. 
But a little bit later, one of, one of the family members came over to the sweet old lady, and, and she said, Ethel, please tell me you did not bury all of your money with your, with your deceased husband. And Ethel said, well, a promise is a promise. She said, oh, I cannot believe you did that. And Ethel said, yes, I, I counted up every cent that we owned, and I sat down, and I wrote him a check. Young people in the room, a check. It, no, hopefully. Ask someone that's older. You can't take it with you. And while you're here, you can either collect treasure on earth or you can leverage God's goodness to you to bring his kingdom down, to make his presence felt, to make an eternal impact through your generosity. And so before I pray, again, my challenge is to take one small step in leveraging what God has given you to bring his goodness down to earth. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love and your generosity to us. First and foremost, sending your son to die on a cross for us. Father, I pray that as we live our lives uh, and there's just, there's so many things that, um, so many obstacles to living generously in, in our culture. Father, would you give us all great wisdom on how we can live generous lives, thankful for what we have, not feeling guilty for the many blessings you've given us, but also stewarding what you've given us wisely. Father, I pray for Pastor Mike and his family as they mourn the loss of a loved one today. Uh, would you... Would you give them uh, comfort and peace, and may they feel your your presence uh, in their time of mourning. In Jesus' name, amen.